Well, today we're going to continue in our sermon series, I Am, where we're exploring various I Am statements uh, throughout the Gospel of John uh, that we see Jesus make. Now, last week we covered Jesus talking about how he is, or I am, the bread of life, where we talked about how Jesus reorients our priorities to acknowledge the reality and the necessity of finding true fulfillment for our souls in Christ, where through Christ we can find eternal life. Now, as we move forward, we're going to begin to look at how Jesus is going to confront the religious leaders by telling him, or by telling them, that Jesus, that he is the light of the world. Now, this statement that Jesus makes, that he's the light of the world, is actually a very influential statement throughout a lot of Christian history, uh, since many theologians actually use this as a way to explain how Christ and the Father are both one person, but at the same time different. Um, and this is actually a problem we'll see shortly in our passage, where the religious leaders do not understand how Christ and the Father are one, but yet separate. Um, and for us as Christians, I think it's actually very important for us to be able to explain some of these fundamental concepts about God to other people. And also, I think it's pretty important for ourselves, right, to learn more about this God whom we worship. So let's talk about this. How did the theologians during the early church explain this mathematical conundrum of two persons in one God? Well, enter Athanasius of Alexandria. Now, Athanasius, he lived during the fourth century AD, and a lot of what we talk about, a lot of the theology of the Trinity that we still believe today come directly from this one man. Um, and this is what Athanasius says when he describes how the Father and the Christ are one. He says this, truly the light and the radiance are one, and the one is manifested in the other, and the radiance is in the sun, so that whoever sees this sees that also. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, like theology, maybe you can save that until like after I eat lunch, maybe, maybe not before, maybe not in the morning. But what is, what is Athanasius saying here? He's basically saying this. How can the sun in the sky that we look at, how can it not shine light? To have a sun means that there must be light. And in order for there to be light, there must be something that gives off the light, like, for example, the sun. So in this sense, the sun and the light are one, since neither can exist without the other, and yet they're both separate things. And the same is said of the Father and of the Son, that there cannot be one without the other, but yet still together they are still one God that we worship. So if you have friends, you know, who are, who are dying to learn about the Trinity, dying for you to explain this mathematical conundrum, I mean, now you have an excellent analogy to help them make sense of it, the lights and the sun. But the thing is, theology without spirituality is just knowledge, right? So how can we take these themes of lights and unity with the Father into our day-to-day -day lives as Christians? I'll tell you that in a moment, uh, but for now, let us read our passage today from John chapter 8, uh, verses 12 to 20. He reads, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me 
will never walk in darkness, but will have the lights of life. The Pharisees challenged them. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Now, earlier in our little theology lesson, we talked about how Jesus is the light. And here we see that exactly this is what Jesus tells the people. He tells them that he is the light of the world. So let's take a look at that in our first sermon point, walk in the light. Uh, but before we get to the walking parts, what, ex- what exactly does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? Now, this metaphor for light is actually very common throughout pretty much all religions. Uh, besides water, light is perhaps one of the most used imagery of what truth or divinity is like. Um, in ancient Greece and Rome, they would light torches and lamps in honor of their patron deities. Um, they would also bury lamps with the dead so that the deceased would have a way to obtain light uh, in the next world. Even in Judaism, the Torah, or the Law of Moses, was, and actually still is, commonly described as light, as it shows the difference between wisdom and foolishness. But the statement Jesus makes here is actually radical for all listeners of every culture. For the Greco-Romans of the time who embraced all gods from all cultures, Jesus announces to them that only he is the light of the world. Jesus claims exclusive, absolute exclusivity in his divinity and that no one is God but him. But not only is this radical for the Greeks and the Romans living in that time, but Jesus' claim of being light of the world is even radical for the Jews. Because if Jesus is indeed the eternal word made flesh, as John says in chapter 1, then the Torah, the law of Moses, is only a shadow compared to the truth and wisdom that can be found in Christ alone. Actually, Paul, he makes this exact argument in Galatians 3.24, where he says that the law was our guardian until Christ came that we may be justified by faith. And the word there for for guardian, um, it's actually probably better translated as a teacher or as a tutor, as someone who prepares us for the real deal. And so if the Torah, the law, was a tutor, then it is Christ who is the true teacher, the true wisdom, and the true light that they have been preparing for this entire time. So last week, we actually, we actually saw people accusing Jesus, saying like, do you think you're greater than Moses? And here, Jesus fully acknowledges that claim. 
yes, I am much greater than Moses. In fact, I am even greater than the law that he gave you because I am the light of the world. And so for us as Christians who follow Christ, uh, Christ being the light of the world is significant for us because Christ tells us in our passage that if we follow him, we will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But what in the world does that even mean? What does it mean for us as Christians to receive the light of life? Or literally translated, what does it mean to receive life-giving light? And although Jesus actually never kind of explains this in our passage, we actually know what life-giving light is like by knowing what it is not. And so if darkness is characterized by death, foolishness, immorality, despair, grief, and evil, then the light that is Christ must be the exact opposite. In Christ alone, we can find life. In Christ alone, we can find wisdom. In Christ alone is there goodness and virtue, and in Christ alone do we receive peace and joy. And many of us, you know, if we're honest, we have all been trying to find these things in the wrong places. We seek joy in things that are not lasting. We seek wisdom, virtue, and goodness from modern-day sages on Twitter or social media. But if Christ is who he says he is, then that lights, then we can take comfort knowing that Christ is indeed the light of the world. We can take comfort in knowing that there is a true way to wisdom, virtue, and goodness. We can take comfort knowing that in Christ, he can develop within us the fruits of the Spirit, like love, joy, and peace. And if Christ truly is the light of the world, then we can take comfort knowing that wherever he leads us, it will always be to the right place. For Christ's light never leads to destruction, and it never leads to death, but it always leads to eternal life. And so the question for us that remains is, how do we as Christians change when we receive this life-giving light? What actually changes within us when we decide to actually follow Christ, to really legitimately follow him? Let's take a look at that. We'll, we'll actually explore that in our next two sermon points, uh, godly speech and godly freedom. Uh, but for my second sermon point, uh, let's take a look at godly speech and how Christ begins to develop godly speech within us. So what does godly speech look like in our passage today? Let's take a quick look at verses 15 to 16, uh, because I believe that these two verses will actually unlock for us uh, what it means to develop godly speech or to have godly speech. And so when the religious leaders, as they attack Jesus or they try to judge Jesus's authority, Jesus replies back to them by saying this, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. We see that as we follow Christ, how we speak changes dramatically because how we view the world fundamentally changes. Uh, in our passage, Jesus accuses the religious leaders who do not walk in Christ's light as people who judge and speak by human standards. They judge people by their appearances. They look at what they wear. 
They look at what they do for a living. They see where they're from and who they associate with, who are their friends. And throughout the Gospels, actually, we see that Jesus has always been criticized in this way, in this fashion. The religious leaders would talk endlessly about how Jesus is from the backwater town of Galilee. Uh, The religious leaders accused Jesus of spending time with tax collectors and prostitutes. They only see Jesus as the carpenter's son. And the same actually can be said about our society, can't it? Without going too in-depth, I just want us to think of what kind of words do we use when we speak of minorities or those in poverty or those who are oppressed in our society? And how do those words compare to the words we might use to speak of those who might be financially successful or powerful in our world? Do we judge others with human standards or outward appearances? And so if Jesus does not judge in the sense of outward appearances, how does Jesus judge them? We see that Jesus' standard of judgment comes directly from God himself. We see this in our passage because Jesus says that although he does not judge, if he were to judge, Jesus knows that his decisions are true because they are from the Father who sent him. Jesus refuses to utter any words of his own, even though he has every right to do so. Jesus refuses to to do that, but he only speaks to others as God has instructed him. Jesus does this because he understands that only God's word, only the Father's words are true and just. That when God looks into us, he looks straight into our hearts and into our souls. And I'll be forthright in that, although I've probably read this passage like a billion times, this has never occurred to me till now, that Jesus refuses to open his mouth unless they are words from God himself. And this leads me to personally wonder, how often do I do this in my own life? Before I open my mouth to speak, do I speak words that are given to me by my Father? And of course, the thing is, right, Jesus, he does share a special relationship with the Father that we don't have. But if following Christ means we receive life-giving light, is our speech also life-giving? Do we speak words of edification to one another? Is forgiveness quick on our lips, or is hatred, revenge, and anger the first things that come out? Does our speech seek to unify or divide? Does our speech seek to destroy or bring life? Unfortunately, I can't answer these questions for you, but I encourage you to consider for yourselves that as you follow Christ, would you speak as Christ would speak to you? Would you speak as Christ would speak to your enemies or your friends? And obviously, you know, no one here is perfect, right? Uh, I know that I too stand condemned by my own words as I'm speaking to you today. I'm guilty of everything that I have just asked you to consider. And so what hope is there for us as Christians that every time we seek to follow this life-giving light, we fall short so many times, how's there hope even for us? Let's explore that in our final sermon point today, godly freedom, uh, which is the second way our lives change when we follow Christ.
In our previous point, we talked about how if Christ were to judge, his judgments are true because they come directly from the Father who alone is just, who alone is good, and who alone is true. But the question is actually never resolved as to why Christ does not judge to begin with. And the answer to that question, um, we can actually find it earlier in the scripture reading that Stanley read for us. And the answer to that question is this. If anyone hears my word but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Christ's life-giving light isn't just a light that makes us better people or more virtuous people. Christ's light-giving light, oh, sorry, life-giving light literally gives us eternal life. For Christ did not come to judge us of our sins, but literally to save us from it. And he ultimately saved us by dying for us on the cross. If Christ were to judge each and every single one of us, which he has every right to do so, none of us would stand. None of us would be innocent before God. But Christ did not come to do that. Christ did not carry his cross up to the mount to judge us for our sins. Christ did not carry the cross to condemn us for all we have done. Christ carried that cross in our place. Every step Christ took, he took on the full burden of all of our sins and all of our shames. And as he was crucified on the cross, Christ took on the full judgments that we deserve so that we can be saved, so that we can receive eternal life. And on that cross, Christ experienced the darkness of death so that we may have the light of life. And in Christ, we know that all of us are forgiven. And when we are forgiven, we know that we are set free. We are set free from judgments. We are set free from shame. We are set free from our regrets. And we are now given a blank slate. In Christ, we're li literally, we're given a new life, a fresh start right now. You don't have to wait until heaven to experience this. Christ gave you this fresh start, this new life right now. And because we are already free, we are now set free to follow Christ's life-giving light. We are set free to speak words of life to one another, and we are set free to follow Christ's footsteps in loving our neighbors as ourselves. And that is what it truly means to follow Christ as a light of the world and to receive Christ's light of life. It doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that life is going to be good, but it means genuine and true liberation from the darkness around us and also the darkness within us. And so as I end this sermon, I encourage you all to seek Christ, to find him and to follow him, to find out what it truly means to be set free. Far too often, um, we think of freedom as freedom to do whatever we want. But we fail to realize that we have been living in a prison that is sin. We're free to do whatever we want in this dark, dingy cell. But we have all seen glimpses of what life is like outside of this prison. We have seen from our prison window the fields of flower, the life the brilliance of lights outside of ourselves. So I invite you all to follow Christ, 
He has come to set you free. He has opened the door in your prison cell for you. And he asks you to follow him. That's all he asks. And so let us do that. Let us step out of darkness and into the light of Christ. And let us experience firsthand what it truly means to have life in Christ. Let's come together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have sent your Son to be the light of the world, uh, that in your Son we can find life. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you did not send your Son to judge us of our sins, but to free us from it, so that we can now be set free to live our lives in a holy and righteous manner. You're the Lord of second chances, but in our lives you, you have definitely forgiven us more than twice. So daily we receive your love and you daily receive your forgiveness. So allow us, Lord, to reflect on that truth, to experience the freedom to live a new life in you daily. As we wake every morning, we realize that it's a new opportunity to follow you and to love you, to find life in you. And so I pray, Father, that just as Christ has been a light for us, let us also be a light for others. If Christ is the perfect presentation of you, then let us be the perfect representation of Christ. Let us give this light of life to others so that they too may know and see the freedom that is found in you. And so we rest our lives in your hands, knowing that in your perfect love, you will always lead us to you. In your most precious son's name we pray. Amen.